This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our beautiful session at Podcast Movement. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm a reporter at Bloomberg, where I cover the podcasting business and the music world, so all things audio. And I'm joined here today with Ross Adams, the CEO of ACAST. Hello, Thank you. Ross. Thanks. Hey. <laughs> so, full disclosure, we are trying to cover a lot of ground in this session. So it's, it's gonna be coming at you fast and furious. And I know we say the future of podcast monetization and we're going to get there. But before we get to the future, I wanna start talking about the now and how people make money today so we know where we're going. Um, so Ross, maybe just to start, can you talk about what is like the primary way podcasters are making money now? Yep, so, so advertising of course is the, the primary way people are making money. Um, you know, if you look at kind of what we do at ACAST, it's split between you know, regular ads, which are the kind of 20 to 30 second pre-made ads, which go across multiple podcasts to the host-read sponsorship. Uh, there's also branded content. Then we have subscriptions. And then, of course, you've got live and merch and all the other bits that come with it. But the predominant ones are advertising. So podcasting, majorly an advertised business. We have lots of different podcasters in the audience, I'm assuming. At what point? Like, how big do you need to be to actually take advantage of advertising and podcasting? I actually really have no idea what the answer to this is. I mean, I think it depends by market, but I think really you can start to monetize from, of course, your first listen. So as soon as you, um, say, apply to be part of a marketplace like, like ACAST, you can switch your ad slots on, um, place them where it makes sense for your show, and we can start delivering kind of pre-made ads against that. You know, the, the beauty, of, of course, around podcasting is the uh, host-read sponsorship, the, the native ads that are, um, uh, you know, very unique to this space and do incredibly well. Um, you know, it depends by market, but it could be that you need, you know, 10,000 or 20,000. You know, we have certain minimums in certain countries. Um, but you might have a very niche, engaged audience that converts very well for a certain brand. So, you know, I think really 10,000 and above is really the, the area where you can start to really monetize from a host for a perspective, or you start to get brand deals direct, so. Do you find that folks at the 10,000 level have to do some of that pro proactive reaching out to the brands, or how do they get even on the brand's radar? I think, you know, again, being part of a, you know, marketplace of other um, uh, podcasts, like we have 66,000 actually on, on, on the ACAST platform, um, it depends, you know, some, some brands are really interested in, in hitting as many niche podcasters as possible who've got really engaged audiences. Um, so those conversations happen kind of through the likes of sales teams, um, or you can start to, you know, reach out to brands direct. You know, Podchaser, for example, is a company we bought recently. That's a, a really good source for, for leads. A lot of brands actually use that to source and find um, podcasts they should be sponsoring. So, you know, making sure you've claimed your show on services like that's really interesting because that helps, you know, find the right leads. I think when we traditionally think about podcast advertising, we think of, you know, the host reading this incredible ad and, yeah, like this, this brand relationship with the host and the audience. But when you're talking about putting a podcast on a marketplace from the get-go, mm -hmm. that might be more of like a programmatic offering, yep. it sounds like. So can you, I guess, explain a little bit, one, what the difference between those things are, just in case we don't know, and then second of all, 
I mean, that's a total flip of how most people think of the industry. Is that relatively new? And if so, like, how is that changing the face of podcasting? I mean, programmatic obviously has been around in audio for, for a, a long time, but actually it's relatively new within podcasting. And I think the word programmatic, people get very scared about because, um, you know, people wonder if you have control over the ads, what's the quality of the creative like, is it going to ruin my show, am I going to lose listenership? You know, none of that. Um, basically, it's a, it's a really easy way to deliver a branded message across multiple shows. Um, you know, we find that programmatic is... We've been in it for about four years now, I think, in podcasting. Um, and it's becoming incredibly popular. It's growing at triple digits every single year. Um, as a podcaster, you can set your block lists up so you don't um, accept certain ads that you don't want to. Um, but it's a great way to start monetizing as many of your listens as possible before you're big enough to um, get sponsorship. And then even when you are big enough to get sponsorship, you might not have sold out everything. It's a great way to make sure you're filling your inventory. 50% um, of the revenue that ACAST delivers is programmatic. Um, I think programmatic in Europe is a lot more advanced than it is in the States, but the States is catching up. host rate sponsorship has been the norm here and the only way to monetize. But these pre-made ads, you know, and this is creative that's made specifically for podcasting, so it suits the listener. Um, that's gaining popularity, and it's a very, very easy way to monetize your show. So it's something that people, you know, if you are podcasters, should really look at. There's a lot of hand-wringing in the industry over, well, if we move away from the host-read ad and we move towards programmatic, then we lose the magic of the host-read ad and people will tune out ads because they don't feel like there's that you know, passion behind the ad read. I mean, what do you say to those people who think that? I mean, I think if you look at host-read, that is the magic of podcasting, right? But it, you know, there's, there's two parts of advertising from direct response where you're, you're trying to get you know, ROI uh, for your brand and you know, shift uh, product then you've got the branding side. So it might be that you've heard a host read or you've seen a, you know, an outdoor poster for something. It's just a reminder. So these branded ads are reminders that you should be uh, either purchasing something or changing your brand, your view around a brand and your aspirations around a brand. Uh, and they're very, they're very good for that. And you know, branding, uh, if you look at the opportunity of podcasting, um, branding campaigns and branding budgets within advertising far outweighs direct response budgets. So actually, if we are to turn kind of the major agencies, and I'm talking about WPP and all those uh, larger groups, publicists, et cetera, if we're to turn them into to turn to podcasting and invest you know, some of that kind of radio cash across um, that opens up new huge budgets which don't yet exist within podcasting and that helps you know, uh, raise all boats. By the way, I, I should have said this at the top. We are going to do questions, so save your questions in your mind, please, <laughs> and I will, we'll, we'll pass around the mic in a bit. Um, so I know we, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit, but you mentioned you know, there's these marketplaces where you can get programmatic, and honestly, there's a lot of them out there right now. There's a lot of choice. Everyone wants this ad inventory. So for a podcaster who's maybe thinking about joining a marketplace, like what do they need to consider? What questions should they be asking of the marketplace to know whether it's the right fit for them or they can feel confident that they even can monetize their show? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, it's making sure there's brand safety is involved and that the advertisers are vetted. You know, you've got everything from open marketplace where anyone can purchase the inventory and place an ad. Um, and you also got to make sure that the marketplace that you join has the ability to set your own block list so you can be really strict around the ads you want and don't want. Um, 
those are kind of the two major areas. Then, of course, it's price. You know, you can start to think about floor prices. You know, you don't want, you know, $2 CPMs because your cut of that is not going to really make a difference. You're not going to, you know, um, kind of get, get much of that kind of cash. So I think, you know, looking at marketplaces where they've got great premium inventory, so they're attracting premium advertisers, that's the kind of uh, marketplaces you should be, you know, looking at. Can you give a sense of... If someone gets a deal or they're looking over a page and they're seeing a CPM rate, what should they be looking for? Like, what are those rates that they should be expecting? And I know it probably varies by size, so if you maybe yeah. can elaborate. I mean, for, from obviously, you know, host red perspective, it ranges from everything from 25, you know, we even charge in certain scenarios over 100 bucks for very kind of unique uh, niche content um, from a CPM perspective. When it comes to ads, it can, you know, differ depending on targeting. You know, we, are, we now have something called conversational targeting where we can transcribe all of your um, shows from audio to text. We then start to find out exactly what's being spoken about. We run that through the likes of IBM Watson and start to understand intent. Are they talking positively about a subject? And what that does is it opens up new pockets of inventory which we can charge premium rates for. Um, and these rates can range from everything from, you know, nine, 10 bucks all the way up to 20 plus bucks depending on, on the targeting. Um, and, you know, it, it starts to open up new pockets of inventory. So, for example, it might be a soccer show, um, which uh, might be uh, talking about cooking, you know, what they were had for, you know, weekend, they did a barbecue, etc. Now, normally that show wouldn't get necessarily food ads because it's a sports-based show and it's listed that as a category. Through conversational targeting, it starts to unlock that they're talking about cooking. Therefore, it's a natural place for a food ad to be served beside that content. And so, you know, marketplaces that offer that, that kind of depth of targeting help maintain high CPMs, and therefore, you're going to get a greater, um, you know, amount, amount of money at the end of the, the month. I mean, should podcasters feel discouraged if they join a marketplace, let's say sub 10,000 downloads per episode, and they're not seeing much money on the return? Like, how, how should they take that? Is it who's at fault there, and how should they interpret that result? I think it's hard, right? You know, you, when you have, um, depending on, you know, look at the economic crisis that's happening right now, you know, demand slightly has stepped back a bit as advertisers are rethinking where to kind of invest their budgets, and where they're going to invest them is, you know, where they get um, best return on investment, right? And podcasting is a fantastic medium for that, so actually, you know, it'll do better than other mediums. When it comes to... Um, uh, kind of the uh, how much you should you know take from a, a 10,000 downloads I think you know you've got to be patient with these marketplaces it takes time to educate uh, advertisers about your shows you're one of many shows on there right so I think the more and more you can help grow your show the more you're going to stand out um, and I think you know you just got to be patient with um, the process but you know eventually your sell-through rates will increase the more popular you be become so We'll move off advertising in a sec, but one last question on <laughs> advertising, everyone's favorite topic. Um, so I've written about how, at times, programmatic, you mentioned categories and blocking categories of ads. And I've written about times where, let's say, an ad that was misclassified or something like that shows up in a show and the podcaster's confused how, to, how it ended up there. Can you talk a little bit about, just explain what those categories are, how they work, and what podcasters need to know about if what kind of content they don't want in their show necessarily. Like, what do they need to be thinking through and what can they choose to do? I think it's just looking through the likes of the IB categories and seeing, you know, what suits your show, you know, what your beliefs are. 
You know, for example, there could be ads for, you know, the army, and some people don't want ads for, you know, promoting um, the army, for example. Um, so I think, you know, you've really got to pay attention when you uh, choose a hosting platform that they give you choice to actually look at those um, block lists. Um, I think also understanding where those um, marketplaces are plugging into. If you're in the open marketplace, anyone can buy advertising from you and therefore could guise themselves under, you know, um, uh, a brand that actually is actually should be categorized or recategorized as something else. So occasionally those ads slip through. When you look at it from a private marketplace or you look at it where um, these marketplaces have, have strict deals with certain agencies, then you know that, that's less likely if ever to happen. And that's a lot safer, more safer environment for you to um, be part of because you know that, that network and that uh, marketplace you know, uh, is legit. Can podcasters be part of multiple ad marketplaces? So could they be on Acast and also be on one of your competitors? I mean, the way that our marketplace works is that, you know, you have to host with Acast. Um, plugging into other marketplaces is something, for example, we don't uh, yet, yet um, uh, allow. Um, some do that. Some don't focus on sales. Some focus purely on hosting and allow you to connect anywhere. So it depends really, you know, um, what type of show you are and, and you know, who's best um, for your show to partner with. Um, you know, we have 66,000 podcasters who, you know, all seem pretty happy at monetizing, so. <laughs> okay, so moving past advertising, we get it. It's a big, big part of yep. podcasting. Um, the hot buzz thing, now that Apple Podcasts launched subscriptions in their app, everyone's talking about subscriptions. To state maybe the obvious, Patreon is obviously another big platform where subscriptions happen. Um, I mean, with all this hype, do you actually see subscriptions as a sustainable business for all podcasters? Or what is kind of the caveat that we need to put on that? I genuinely think it can work for all podcasters. Um, you know, if you think about, obviously, large podcasters, um, you know, it has worked from there's multiple case studies there. But actually, there are a lot of smaller shows with Acast that, that um, subscriptions do work with. You know, you might have a show that might only reach, you know, a thousand audience. We talk a lot about a, um, it's kind of a more of a fictitious case study. It's a, a fly fishing podcast that might have a thousand listens. Now, realistically, from an ads perspective, it's not going to do very well. But you know, you've got a highly engaged audience of a thousand people. Now, if you're creating exclusive content for them to tap into from a subscription level, you're likely to convert a huge amount of those. And actually, as a a business, you could do very well off, you know, 500 um, subscribers paying, you know, 10 bucks a month. So, you know, we do see that it does work. It doesn't work necessarily for everyone. But I think if you've got a very engaged audience, you know, you're going to find that there is a subset of your, your fans, your super fans, who will pay for early access, for extra content. And I think the ones that do best are those that invest in unique content um, for their subscribers. Is there a way to, like... I mean, it's a little scary to be like, hey, I'm launching a subscription. Let's hope people subscribe. <laughs> then you've kind of committed yourself to making all this stuff, and maybe one person's there, and you're making content for one person. How, I mean, what advice do you give to people? Like, do, how do you test the waters to make sure your subscription product is even something that will be successful, even remotely? Yeah, I think, you know, you can survey your audience. You know, it's really, um, I think when you're, you, you need to really understand your audience to launch subscriptions. It's not something you necessarily do from day one. Um, and I think you've then got to you know, understand your uh, audience and then start to introduce this over time. Surveys are a great way to find out, you know, just asking your audience, if I was to do an extra show each week, 
and charged these price points for it, what would you pay? You know what, you'll probably find out the answer. So surveys are a great way to do that. And then, of course, you can use social to get feedback um, uh, with your audience and, again, ask them the same kind of questions. Um, but it's good to do the research beforehand. Yeah, I mean, do you see, I know you mentioned, you know, like these niche podcasts, the ones that really maybe have this extremely loyal following in a certain area. Um, I mean, for those types of shows, what percentage of listeners do you expect to convert to paid subscribers? I mean, I think if you, if you look at subscriptions from basic level and you do the likes of ad-free as one of the tiers that you're offering, so, you know, because we dynamically insert the ads, we dynamically insert all our host reads, you can actually take them out, so then you've got clean content. You know, probably 1% to 2% of your audience might actually pay to, to remove the ads. Um, but I think if you start to introduce unique content, you can expect anywhere between, you know, 5 and 12% conversion, uh, which can be quite significant depending on what you're charging. Yeah, I was going to say, do you see <laughs> multiple things from a data perspective and what you're seeing on the ground? Is there a sweet point of price? And how should someone think about, maybe we'll start there, how should someone think about pricing their subscription? I mean, we, we again, you can do this through the surveys and through the research before. We let our podcasters choose the, the price points they want to introduce um, their subscriptions at. And I think it's a trial and error. You know, we give you all the data back. Uh, also, you know, you can have multiple tiers. So, um, you know, the data you capture when people sign up, you know, you also get the likes of date of birth. So, actually, you could even uh, insert a private message to that one user saying, happy birthday, why don't you, you know, as a gift, I'm going to upgrade you to the second tier. And then, you know, so you've got to try different promotions out to try and move them through the tiers. But, you know, a lot of re that research you can find out through trial and error um, and through research beforehand. And then is there a sweet offering that you see is most likely to convert? You mentioned bonus content. You mentioned ad-free. I mean, is it a mixture of both? Is it one or the other? I, I, I want to put out there that just, you know, creating bonus content means more work frankly. Yep. So people need to be aware that that, that comes with that. Yeah, it's going to be worth it, right? I think, um, you know, just doing ad-free, like I said, you're going to get, you know, relatively small conversions on that. Um, early access, it depends if it's seasonal. So if you're an always-on show, you know, um, and you have avid listeners who tune in on the Tuesday morning, you release it. If you gave it 24 hours early, you could trial that and see if that worked and then, you know, remove that tier. Um, but I think a lot of this is, again, like I say, trial and error. But um, exclusive content seems to be the one thing that actually converts the highest. Um, early access does work, so does ad-free, but, but extra content is the one key thing that we see. And again, you know, there's a lot of subscription platforms competing for podcasters to host at least their exclusive content there. Um, what are the questions podcasters need to be asking? What are some of the things you've seen in the industry that maybe people don't realize until they're in a little too far? I, th I think that, you know, we offer choice. You know, you can link your Patreon um, through Acast. Um, if you really want to, you can use Acast Plus. If you want to go and build a subscription through Supercast, you can do that as well. I think it depends on the podcaster. You know, we find that actually managing everything in one place um, is, uh, you know, the, the, the first thing that podcasters should look for, ease of release, because actually, like we said, creating extra content is another step, and it's a, it takes a lot of effort for podcasters. So why then try and have to upload it into different places and manage your data in different places? It's best to try and find a service that you can manage it all in one place. 
Then, of course, you can look at the percentage that, that platform takes and, and what features they offer you, and then what platforms um, they are on where you can access your fans, and again, looking at where your fans are. Um, Patreon works for a lot of um, podcasters, um, but then equally, so does Acast Plus, so does Supercast and the other services out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, do, do you think there's going to be a world, like, do you see podcasting moving away ever from an advertising business? No, I mean, I think if you look at, you know, other forms of audio out there, um, I think, you know, you look at radio, it's fully ad supported. Um, and then you've got Sirius, which is a subscription service. You then got Spotify, which is, you know, the, the free side, which is over 50% of their users, um, is ad supported. So ads won't go away. I think subscriptions is just going to grow. Subscriptions is new to podcasting. Um, and uh, I just think that's, that's only got kind of room for growth. But advertising definitely is going to grow. And as I said earlier, you know, a lot of the brand money hasn't yet turned to uh, podcasting. So, you know, if you think about radio in this country, I think it's worth about 15 billion a year or something. Podcast market's worth is over a billion dollars. So, you know, a lot of that branding money that's spent in radio should be spent in podcasting and will eventually start to come across. That's going to, you know, a you know, rising tide raises all boats. That's going to be a really interesting time when that happens. So, yeah, ads is still going to be a huge part of it. So I think when we think about podcast monetization, we're typically thinking about, yes, ads primarily, now a bit more of subscriptions. Yep. But there are plenty of networks out there, plenty of individual podcasters who are, of course, always trying to diversify their revenue streams. So I think let's kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what some of these ancillary businesses could be, and maybe you've seen them be more than just an ancillary business. Um, maybe a good place to be, would, good place to start would be merch. Yep. So, I mean, again, this is upfront typically, unless you're doing drop shipping, upfront costs to produce some merch. Yep. Um, it's an investment. So again, I think the question is at what point do you think podcasters need to be thinking about merch? Is that actually a big business for certain companies or certain podcasters? Yeah, merch can be a really interesting part of your kind of uh, revenue um, within podcasting. I think, you know, that's what you've got to think about your brand, think about how you engage with your um, listeners and your fans. And I think, again, through the likes of surveys, you can start to, to see how people engage with your brand and therefore if merch would do well. Uh, we teamed up with a company called, I think it was Teespring, um, and, you know, you don't have to you know, pre-print loads of t-shirts, pre-print loads of hats, for example. You can actually have all your designs designed on there, and then as and when people order them, that's when they start to print them. So there are solutions out there where you don't have to outlay a huge amount of money up front, and it's not um, such a risk. Um, and that can become quite an interesting part of, of the mix when it comes to revenue. So really think about your, your brand uh, as you, you know, start to build your podcast. Have you ever seen podcasters make that a huge percentage of their revenue? And if so, what was it that they were doing that you think made it such a big seller? You know, it's, it's fairly early uh, to, to say that we've seen lots of examples of this. You know, I, I don't think we've seen examples where merch has been the biggest revenue stream. Um, it's definitely an additive part of it. Um, so, uh, and, and again, you know, it can be always on, it can be seasonal, you know, it depends what kind of show you've got. But in certain cases, they, some podcasters have made significant amounts of money from that. Got it. Uh, maybe, okay, so then, okay, we have merch down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about live events. Another one that is a little bit scary to announce a live show. What if no one comes? Yep. My fear. Um, 
what do you talk to podcasters about in relation to that? I mean, that seems like you have to be at a very certain level to pull that off. Mm -hmm. But how do you think about working with podcasters? What do you tell them if they're like, I need this part of the business. I want to make it happen. Yeah, I think, you know, again, we offer, um, uh, we, we've got a, a link with a company actually out of UK who does a lot of the live events um, space for us. But I think it, it, it depends, again, how you engage with your listeners and how engaged your listeners and fans are. Um, it could be that you have a show that only reaches, uh, you know, 1,000 listens or 500 listens. And actually, doing an event, um, we've seen podcasters do an event for a meet and greet for about 20, 30 people. Uh, and that worked incredibly well. It covered the cost of hiring the venue. Uh, it paid them a, a good amount of money. And so that was a significant um, um, part of it. Then you've got, of course, the larger shows who can send out venues. You know, we've got a show called um, My Dad Wrote a Porno in the UK, one of the most popular ones in the UK. And they sold out the Sydney Opera House, um, I think it was three times over in 15 minutes. So, you know, you, and, and, and what they do on stage is obviously it's, it's not exactly a, an episode, but it's different from uh, an episode. So they, slightly, they think about their live in a different way, but it becomes a real show and, you know, huge value for uh, their fans. I mean, this is something that I always wonder about is when you're putting together a live show, can it be as simple as us sitting on stage recording this conversation mm -hmm. like, hey, thank you for paying us to come to the show. Or do you think that podcasters really need to put some thought into the live show? They need to really, I mean, we plan this obviously, but like, can they do something that's not so just like people with a mic? Do you yep. think they need to bring something more to the table to the live event? Again, depends on the show, but you could have a really interesting guest that could actually pull in the crowd. You know, they're more here to see the, the guests being interviewed. So it could be a straight interview. I think the successful ones we've seen, they've really thought about the production. They've really thought about the show. Uh, it's not just a straight interview show. Um, there's an element of Q&A. So, you know, you, I think, you know, the relationship that podcasters have with their listeners is incredibly close versus any other medium. When you enable the, the um, audience participation, that becomes a really interesting way to do it as well. Not just questions, but in different ways. Um, so those are the kind of the ones that we've seen that are most successful on the live side. This isn't totally a monetization question, but I feel like we've talked at this, so we should just address it. You're talking a lot about engaged listeners. You yes. know, you want to have engaged listeners. Mm -hmm. How the heck do you make engaged listeners? How, what, what do you tell podcasters who are like, I am trying at this. I think my listeners like me. But like, what do you tell them to do to really try to build that fan base that is going to follow them through these different monetization strategies? Again, it's a feedback loop, right? You know, again, through surveys, you can find out. You know, I think also if you look at the data and insights, especially the data and insights that we give you at ACAST, you can start to see where, you know, on that fifth minute, you talk about cats and people tuning out. On the, on the 10th minute, you talk about dogs, and actually your listeners increase. So you can start to figure out through data, you know, what output you're doing is, is it the right output to get the most engaged listeners and where the drop-off uh, rates are. Um, so if you're doing a two-hour show and after an hour people are dropping off, you should probably shorten the show. So really kind of focus on your data, focus on, you know, your surveys. Then you like, look at the likes of Podchaser where, you know, you can start to engage through reviews and actually as a podcaster you can engage with your audience. Uh, they can review through your show and you can actually comment back. I think using services like that is super interesting um, because you can start to get real life feedback from your listeners and therefore honing your show and making it better. But I think you've just got to put yourself out there and, and really try, um, you know, whatever, um, you know, show you want to try, but actually keep 
focusing on editing it as you go along and changing it until you find that kind of the sweet spot. I'm wondering if the monetization model that someone chooses can be played out in the data. Like, would they see, you know what, my audience doesn't love when I do a host red ad, they skip over it or they tune out. Can, they, can someone tell how their monetization model is affecting their listenership, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, not, not everyone's great at host reads. You know, this is why, you know, ads are also a beautiful backup to have because, you know, host read is, you know, the beauty, the sweet spot of podcasting. But if you're not great at it and it's putting off your listeners, um, you know, you'll, you'll kind of know about it because they will feed back to you. You should be asking for feedback. You should be introducing when you're going to do an ad break so actually, you know, it doesn't kind of jar the listening. Um, so you can prepare your audience for that. So many podcasters don't do that, and it doesn't become a very nice listening experience. Uh, and also, you know, you're giving them this content for free. So actually explaining why they need to listen to the ads um, is really key to do. And a lot of people just don't do that. So I think it's really think about, um, you know, where your ads go and think about how your audience will engage with them and listen to them and why they're important to you and then get those feedback loops so you can start to, to edit the way you approach brands. It could be you're talking too long on a host read, for example. I mean, it sounds like you're basically advocating for transparency with your audience. They yeah. know what you're doing is a job, even mm -hmm. if it's a side hustle, it's work. Yep. And if you can be transparent and say, hey, you're getting this for free, here's an ad, this is why you're hearing it, because you're listening to it for free, or we're doing a subscription because I'm making extra content for you, so you exactly. should pay for the subscription. But you should also, you know, if you are doing a host read for a brand, make sure you genuinely believe in the brand. You know, that's the ones that convert the most, and therefore, you're probably going to get repeat spend from that brand. You know, it, it, the, the more real it is, the more, obviously, uh, more audience is going to convert to that brand. So really be picky about what brands you put out there uh, rather than just taking any money just to kind of make money. It's, you know, you've got to be strict about that. And so I guess looking even further into the future, I want to throw a couple like hypey things your way and see what, you, what your take is on them. Okay. <laughs> so as an example, NFTs in the podcast space. Mm -hmm. Let's go there. Um, what do you make of that? Like, do, what do we need to do? What's the signal from the noise here? Is this something podcasters need to be thinking about right now? Should we be focusing mainly on these other things we've discussed? What do we need, what do we need to know? I think it depends on your audience, but I think NFTs could be really interesting within podcasting. Uh, it's something we talk a lot about at Acast. Um, you know, uh, imagine you could, you know, min an, an episode, you actually own a, a specific episode. Um, I think it is an interesting area, and this is the kind of way that the world is going. So it should be, it sh I, I just think it's quite early right now for podcasting. We just started launching subscriptions. So I think <laughs> throwing in NFTs right. today, but I do think it is gonna be a, an interesting thing in the future and will be within podcasting, that's for sure. I mean, I have other ideas of random hypey things, but is there something I'm not thinking about you think that you're like, this is really far into the future, mm -hmm. but like we're really thinking about it? Um, of course, the, the metaverse is, you know, an interesting word to throw in there. Um, again, you know, this is, podcasting is 20 plus years old, as you guys know. Um, and I think monetization is relatively new. Um, so, you know, the advertising side's got a long way to go first. But I do think there's, you know, the, the, the space is going to evolve. And I think the likes of how podcasters engage with their audiences on different platforms in different ways, like through the metaverse, 
could be really interesting. So the, the, the mixes of revenue and the mixes of opportunity to engage with your fans will start to diversify. But that's all additive to what we're doing today. Mm -hmm. Got it. I want to make sure we save time for questions. So, um, yeah, could we maybe, sorry to put you all on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Can I call on people? Does the mic person want to call on people? Over the mic there. person okay. over there. There he is. I uh, have a question about small podcasts. Yep. Um, I have about 110,000 downloads since I started 15 months ago. Congrats. Thank you. But I can't get anybody to place ads with me because my, ad, my podcast lasts about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And we heard earlier today that pre-roll ads do better than mid-roll ads. So I bring something to the table, but what have I got to do to get uh, someone interested in placing ads in my podcast? Um, there's the ACOST uh, area downstairs you should chat to. Uh, you know, I, th I, but I think actually, you know, 15 minutes, you know, depends on the form. The format works, clearly. You've got some great downloads there. Um, I think, you know, speaking to companies like ours, uh, you know, uh, pre-roll, you should be able to place the ads where it makes sense for your audience, right? And, you know, with all of our ad markers, you can move them within the show. So your pre-roll, you can move it up to five or six minutes within your show, right? So, you know, you should be able to choose a platform that allows you to place them in the right places. I think, you know, um, plugging in to marketplaces like ours, we could monetize that through ads, for example. Um, I think reaching out to brands, there are a lot of brands here today, and asking them, you know, how they would go about sponsoring niche audiences. Um, look at marketplaces that, you know, uh, allow you to sponsor multiple shows in one go. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, talk to all of the platforms that are here today and see, you know, what their suggestions are. Um, you'll hear some multiple ones, but I think a platform that allows you to move at least your ad slots to suit your show would be super interesting. Say again, sorry? talk to tell me to go away because I'm too short. Right, okay. Well, again, we allow kind of anyone to join um, our marketplace. You know, again, if it's brand-safe content, that's the first hurdle you've got to get through. Um, but actually, you know, you can join uh, a platform like Acast and we can start to monetize it through ads. You know, you're not going to see huge amounts of revenue straight away. You know, you've got to kind of give it time, but that's an opportunity for you if you're not monetizing it at all. Hey, I was wondering if you could take a futurist perspective and predict for us when you think a podcast-specific VR world might be a viable source of income. Wow, that's putting me on the spot, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, um, love. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, you want to comment on that one? Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, okay, this I is a setup. I get that. it, I get it. No, no. Um, again, it depends on the audience uptake, um, how you engage with your audience. You know, there's a lot of podcasters who don't just do podcasting, um, uh, and they, they're actually on other mediums too. That, I think, then could convert to the VR world. I think it's just very early right now, um, but I think when the multiple audiences and the 
millions of audiences are using um, the likes of VR on a daily basis, especially when the metaverse comes along, then there's definitely ways to, to do that. You know, I hope that was a decent answer. Thanks. Any other questions? Anyone else? Not like I can see anyone. What about branded content in podcasting? Is that a thing? Good question, LP. <laughs> I know your name. Well, well. Uh, no, branded content is a big thing, actually. You know, I think, um, you know, we're seeing branded content as a huge opportunity right now. You know, you think about um, the opportunities to sponsor podcasts is host reads or ads, but actually we didn't touch on branded content. Um, you know, it could be that, you know, we have shows, a huge amount of sports shows, for example, Under Armour, great brand within sports. They've teamed up with certain, you know, how do they get their brand values across in a certain way? And it could be actually that um, a branded opportunity where a branded episode, a branded series by these hosts who've got an engaged audience that, you know, really want to listen to sports content. That's a, a great way of getting their content across. Um, and it's an opportunity for advertisers to really look at if you want to go deeper with an audience. If you know an audience really matches your brand values and you want to um, really kind of look at... Um, Delivering great content to them, branded content is a fantastic way to do that. We offer that as part of our suite. Question at the front here, and then there's one over there, I think, as well. And there. It's uh, for licensing content to film series. Is a thing for podcasts to be looking at. Like we have some examples from Wondery delivering mm -hmm. podcasts to Apple TV Plus and Sarah. But yeah. I don't know if it's viable for any podcast to be looking at that. I, th I think that's going to become, that's going to happen more and more, to be honest. You know, you, you see a lot more brands looking at the um, uh, IP area and actually, you know, sourcing new stories and new content that actually could be converted to other mediums like TV. So we're starting to see that with the likes, you know, Wondery do it very well. It's something Gimlet have done previously. Um, and I think that is going to happen more and more. It's very, it's, it's the few and far between, sadly, that actually get the chance to do that. But that is another opportunity for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so since you're here, <laughs> I've been, I've been following how ACAST has been growing, right? Mm -hmm. And I was there when you opened the Mexico office to expand the marketplace in Spanish. Yep. And also today I learned, well, I've been following how you integrate with different services. And it seems like it is evolving a lot. It's mm -hmm. not just a hosting, it's, it offers all kinds of solutions, right? And I was wondering, like, what do you imagine the future of ACAST being? What's the vision for your company, what you envision, what can, what can we expect from you guys like 10 years from now? Because like just being following from my screen, <laughs> it's different than having you here and asking you like, what's the future for you? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think we've got a long way to go with the likes of advertising on that side. You know, you look at Mexico, for example, it's still a, a nascent market. You know, a lot of people listen, but actually the advertisers are still just getting used to buying 
you know, podcasting. So, you know, there's still an educational job we've got to do in certain markets and will expand in the future. So, you know, the future of Acast, I see definitely expansion as being a key part of that and us growing. You know, I'd love um, Acast to be that, um, you know, central point that, that uh, advertisers come through for um, uh, data and knowledge around uh, advertising buying. Um, you know, and the central part for creators, a uh, central platform for them to use when it comes to distribution and monetization. You know, I want ACAST to be synonymous in the space. Um, so, I, I, you know, we talked earlier on about metaverse and other areas like that. I think it's naturally going to evolve. You know, our suite of tools, we always offer new features to that, new data attribution. The, play, the space is just going to continue to evolve there, and I would love ACAST to be front and center of that in each of the kind of markets we're in. I um, hope that answers your question a little bit. Pleasure. I think there's one, one more, more over there. there. I think. Thank you for all the questions. This is yeah, great. Yeah, this is great. I can't see you, but it's great. What are your thoughts? What are your <laughs> thoughts about um, using hosts who are good at host red ads for programmatic ads for other podcasts? Good question. You know, I think um, there's there's opportunities, right? I think again, if we look at uh, another monetization opportunity, we have got creators who have got fantastic voices and do fantastic reads. Why should that limit them to just their own podcast? I think it's up to platforms like us to identify those opportunities and, um, you know, offer those services, you know, outside of their own podcast to make even more money from that. So I think that's a really interesting um, area. You know, like I said, not everyone's great at um, uh, podcast reading. We do announce the red stuff as well, so you, we can got a, get a voice that sounds, you know, um, like it, you know, is doing a, a host read Ad. It's not the host actually doing it, but it's an announcer read. Um, we do that as well, uh, and there's no reason it shouldn't be another podcaster who can earn from that as well. So um, that's something we have looked at, and I think we should be exploring more. So good question. Okay, last call. All right. Well, Ross, thanks so much for joining me on stage here. Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> Thank you.